Have you ever been in a spot in your life where you sat back and wondered, where in the world is God right now? Like, where is he at in my life? I don't see him working. Maybe you're there right now. Like, you're sitting there saying, is God even aware of what's, is he present, is he working? I thought he was at one time, but he seems so far away or seems so quiet or silent. I don't know where he is right now, but I can sure use him. I don't see him, I see other things that work in my life that are not good and are not God. Where is God? He seems silent, and I'm wondering if he's even around. If you've ever felt that way or if you feel that way right now, I want to talk about that before the message is over. But let's set that aside for a few minutes and talk about where we're going today and for the next few weeks. Today we are starting a sermon series that we're going to use throughout the month of December and we're going to finish it on Christmas Eve. And it's called, we're calling it Backstage Christmas. And of course we got the idea because of the theater, the high school, uh, Hanover High School theater production that's going to be going on in this stage. We thought about, uh, you know, all things theater. And so actually we were working on a different sermon series and when this came to fruition, we were in the office with my team planning and Anthony Curtis actually had the idea as we talked about some sermon series that we were working on. He said, why don't we talk about, you know, Christmas through the lens of theater a little bit, you know, lightly and uh, use that as a, as a, a prompt this year. So it was his idea. We always work together on these things. And so we're going to talk about backstage Christmas this month. And um, I hope in the weeks to come that you'll, um, you'll hear it. We're going to talk about a lot of the things that go into the Christmas story, the greatest story ever told. We're going to talk about the, um, you know, the cast and the crew and the, 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 the uh, promotion of it and all that kind of stuff the next few weeks. It's going to be good. But for today, for today, I want to just kind of get started. Today's going to be very introductory and not super deep, but hopefully gives you one simple idea today. One simple idea to take home that will help you in your journey with Christ. But we're going to be very introductory today to the whole series. And what I want to say about it is this. Um, this is a holiday weekend. And while we've not even set our own stage for Christmas yet, as we talk about backstage Christmas, we want to talk today about the very idea of setting the stage. Because, as you understand... Every play needs a, a different groups of people. You got to have the cast, you got to have the crew, you got to have all the different things in place, right? But you know, a very important job, obviously, in fact, the signature job of the entire production is the director, right? So in Hanover's case, Hanover uh, High School's Thespian Society, Steve Gustus is the director. Very important. Without the director, there's no play, there's no nothing going on. You got to have the director. The director is a big role. We have a director's chair up here. It's our first prop. We'll be adding more throughout the month. But the director's chair to remind us that every play needs a director or it's not going to happen. The director, the director is the one with the vision of what is to come when no one else can see it yet. I mean, before there is a, a, a cast or a crew or any props, there's someone who has a vision. Either they have written a script or they have a line with someone who wrote a script or they purchased a script from somebody else, but they ultimately say, we're going to find a story and we have a vision for how we can make the story work. And they, put, they start working on all the things that need to happen. And um, it all goes into the system way before anything else takes place. The director is the one with the vision 
of what is to come when no one else sees anything happening yet. The director is the one who gets everything ready early on and throughout the whole thing behind the scenes. Yes, there are others working behind the scenes, the crew. We'll talk about them in a future week. But, but the director is the one who, from the very get-go, is planning, vision casting, and working behind the scenes to set the stage macro level for everything to work out. And that's not just true in the Hanover play in a couple weeks here. That's not just true in whatever plays. I don't know if you've ever gone to any plays and watched any live shows. Great story being told through actors on stage. Perhaps you've watched some in person at a high school level or maybe at a professional level. Perhaps you just watched uh, Hamilton on Disney Plus as a musical. That's great too. Whatever it is, um, you know, it's not just, it, there's a lot that happens before that curtain opens up. When that curtain opens up and the show's going on and you're enjoying it, it didn't just happen just then. A whole lot was going on. Not just that day, but in the weeks and months and sometimes a lot longer than that prior to that moment. Right? And so, things are happening in the director's chair. And that's the same as true with the Christmas story. If all plays are just great stories being acted out, I want you to think of the Christmas story. We call, the Christmas story is the beginning of the life of Jesus. We call the whole life of Jesus, his birth, his life, his miracles, his service, his death, his resurrection, and his redemption plan for all mankind. We call that the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest story ever told. So if it is the greatest story ever told, if it was a play, it'd be the greatest play ever cast and enacted. And, and so if we look at the Christmas story, the, the greatest story ever told, if we looked at it as a play, then God is the director. And he was directing way before anyone saw the curtain open up on Bethlehem that first Christmas morning. Way before anyone saw anything else, the director was way at work, far before anyone else even knew the idea was happening. In fact, to see it, you've got to go back in time with me. See, how far back in time do we need to go? Let's go back to the very beginning. We read the Hebrew scriptures and we see the beginning of mankind when God created mankind and we see the story of Adam and Eve and we understand God's love on the macro level that in love God created life and the world and us. He created in love. And in love he gave us freedom to choose. He didn't put us in a box where we had no choice. He said, follow me, walk with me, trust me. Or if you want to go the other way, here's, an out, here's an, a way out. You can go the other way. You can, diso you can go your own direction. You're not, you're not confined. It's your choice. I want a relationship with you by choice. And God created us in love and God created the world in love, but he gave freedom to choose because he's a God of love. And of course, we read the story of Adam and Eve and we see the account of the very first choice to sin, to say, uh, I, I, don't, I think I know better than God or I want something different than what he wants. I'm gonna do my thing that sounds good to me. And the consequences that come with our choices and the consequences that come into the world. And so you read the story how Adam and Eve made their plunge and, and of course, you know, they were warned ahead of time of the consequences of bad choices. God sits down. He, it's interesting that in the, you read the story in Genesis chapter 3. What you'll find is that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, it's like their innocence was lost. Their eyes were opened to good and evil. And the first thing they noticed was that they were naked, which never bothered them before in their innocence, but now that they were 
awakened, so to speak. They were suddenly aware and they were ashamed of that. And now they're trying to cover themselves up real fast, right? So what do they do? They get, you know, fig leaves or some kind of leaves and they're trying to cover themselves up to hide their, sh- they felt shame and expo- they felt exposed. And of course the leaves just didn't do the trick, right? Can you imagine just for yourself for a minute if you all of a sudden find yourself, you know, not to wake up outside somewhere in the outdoors and you were naked and you're like, ah, and you try to find some leaves to cover you, you probably wouldn't feel very secure, would you, about the kind of job your leaves would do. You're like, there's not enough leaves I could tie together to make myself feel good about this outfit. So Adam and Eve felt shame and they felt exposed with their eyes open and they just wanted to hide it. And they tried to do it with leaves, but they didn't, it didn't feel good. So they hid from the presence of God because God would come down every day and walk with them and be with them in their innocence. And they hid from God. And when he finally came to them and found them and confronted them, and dealt with their decisions to, to do wrong. He tells them what he told them ahead of time, that there's consequences to sin, that sin brings decay and death and destruction. And we know this is true because it wasn't just Adam and Eve, it's been all of us today ever since then, isn't it? All of us since then have made choices uh, that have brought harm to ourselves and to others and to the world and the planet that we live on. We have continuously said, I want what I want, even if it's not what's best for others, it's what I want to do. And over and over again, just the sin and the toll that sin has had on this world has taken place. And God talked to Adam and Eve about the consequences of that sin and, and, the, and the death that comes from sin. But here's what's interesting in the story with Adam and Eve. Is that this, is, this, is, this story takes place, according to the biblical account, thousands of years before Jesus Christ was here. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But... He says to them in that moment, he says to them, I got a plan. And the first glimpse of the director looking ahead to the opening act of the greatest story ever told on Christmas Day was already beginning to show through. Because God in love created and God in love gave them freedom to choose. But when choices were made that were bad, God in love decided to step in and redeem us from the consequence of our choices. And then God in love decides to offer us the choice of coming back to him in relationship again. And so God says to Adam and Eve, he says it's going to be hard from here on out. The the earth is going to be tainted by sin. It's going to be hard to eke out a living. It's going to be hard to have kids and raise kids. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a, a toll. That's just how brokenness works in the world. It's just everything's a struggle. But he said to, to Eve, he said, someday your children and your grandchildren and your great, 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 your descendants someday, way off in the future, one day I'm sending my son. He didn't say it exactly this way, but he said, your descendant one day, the promised Messiah, would come along and he would crush the serpent's head, referring to the Satan and the temptation in the Garden of Eden. He would crush the serpent's head, picturing the destroying the consequence of sin and destroying the power of death and destroying the power of the grave. He would crush its head, but that the, it would crush, it would bruise his heel. He would be pierced with many sorrows. He would pay a price to, to, to bring that kind of redemption. That kind of salvation would cost him personally. And, and God, in the very beginning with Adam and Eve's story, foretold to them in that moment about the greatest story that was millennia and millennia and millennia away from happening. 
And then he did something else. They were still feeling inadequate. They were still feeling shamed and their eyes were open and they were, the fig leaves weren't doing the job and they were feeling un, uncared for. They couldn't fix their problem on their own. And Genesis 3.21 says this. After all of that, it says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And in that moment, he not only met their immediate need of physical clothing and physical you know, safety, but he also was showing a symbolic picture of exactly what the gospel is all about. That the gospel would be that just like Adam and Eve felt vulnerable and exposed in their nakedness, all of us feel that same way spiritually. All of us have things that we don't want anyone else to see. Perhaps our sins and our failures have been fairly public and everyone knows them and we wish they didn't know them. We wish they wouldn't look at them. Perhaps they're private. We want to keep them hidden. We don't want everyone to know our thoughts and our attitudes and our, all of our moments behind closed doors or in front of other people. And, and, and we have shame that we can carry around because of our sin. And no matter what we try to do to cover it up, it's always there and we're always trying to hide it, but nothing we can do can cover it. Spiritually, it can't be satiated through our own appetite, through our own, uh, our own efforts. And so God in his love said, I'm gonna provide the covering for you that you can't provide for yourself. You can't cover it yourself. And he gave his son as a sacrifice not an animal, but as the Lamb of God. John the, John the Baptist once said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He would come and be our sacrifice, and his sacrifice would clothe us in a way that we could not clothe ourselves. It would cover our sins. It would pay the price. It would cover the shame. It would, erase, it would, it would give us a restored relationship with God. And in this moment, in these conversations, there's two conversations I've mentioned so far. This one and the whole thing about crushing the serpent's head. God was telling our first parents, that the director already had a great story in mind way before it ever opened the curtain. And then they had kids. Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Those are the first two of many kids. And they were trying to teach them to have a relationship with God and bring a, 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 a memento to God as a, a, a symbol of their relationship. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? That Cain worked in the, in, in the field and, and produced crops and brought some of his crops to God in, a, in an offering. And Abel took an animal from their flocks and made a sacrifice to God in his offering. And God did not accept Cain's sacrifice, but he accepted Abel's. And, and why was that? Because, because Cain's offering pictured his own efforts, the work of his own hands, that he would somehow earn relationship and favor back with God through his own efforts and his own works. Whereas Abel, through the sacrifice, understood and admitted that there's nothing I can do to earn my place back. My sin is still there. My sin must have consequences. So I'm going to put my faith and trust not in my works or my own two hands, but in the sacrifice of a substitutionary atonement, in a redemption plan to substitutionary atonement. And he was picturing Jesus Christ. And God accepted that sacrifice from Abel. So way back thousands and thousands of years before Jesus ever came, the director's already kind of showing his hand that he's got a special story brewing. And it carries on. Thousands of years after that, thousands of years after that, God says it's time to start my special plan to bring a young man into this world, to, be the, to send my son into this world, to be born and grow up and be the Savior, to send him from eternity to be human and walk in their shoes and become flesh and dwell among them. And he began by starting with one man who would become a family, who would become a nation out of which the promised Messiah would come. And in the story, God picks a man whose name was Abram, who later God would change his name from Abram to Abraham. 
And Abraham was a righteous man and he was a man of faith and trying to find a relationship with God. And God said, I'm going to start it with you, buddy. And the story goes in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. And boy, did did that not come true. I mean, isn't that what happened? I mean, is Abraham famous or what? Think about this. All three of the world's major religions, all three monotheistic religions, the biggest religions in the world are all monotheistic. All three of them are. And they all look back to Abraham. Judaism looks back in their Hebrew scriptures to Abraham being the literal father of their literal nation, the Jewish Hebrew people. In Judaism, Christianity looks back to these promises that we're going to read here and others that we won't read today as Abraham being a a father of faith, not just to his own descendants, but to all the world. And Christianity embraces Abraham as a a patriarch in our our religion. And then in, in Islam, they look back to Abraham as being the father, not of Isaac, but of Ishmael and his descendants and the promises from Abraham. Literally, Abraham is the central character of all the central world today. And so the promise was fulfilled. He made him into a great nation. He blessed him and made him famous. And he's famous today. Everyone knows Father Abraham, and he had many sons. Right leg, right foot, left foot, or how does that song? I don't know how that song goes. But anyhow, um, it all started with um, Abraham. Now, um, God says in verse 3, he says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. This is so powerful, folks. He said, I'm going to bless not just your own posterity, not just your own children and grandchildren and your own generations to follow. I'm going to bless all the families of all the nations, of all the people everywhere in the whole earth because through you will come the Messiah who will bring together all the world back to God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's coming through you, Abraham. And again, this is 2,000 years before Jesus came still. And yet in this moment, the director is showing that his plan is already at work when no one else saw it yet. And then Abraham had a son. He had a grandson named Jacob who changed his name to Israel. God changed his name to Israel. And then he had a great-grandson, Abraham's great-grand... He had a lot of great-grandsons, by the way. Big family. Abraham had a huge family on the great-grandchild level. Are there any great-grandparents here today, by the way? If you're a great-grandparent, raise your hand, don't be shy. Who's a great-grandparent? Great-grandparents? Great-grandparents? Great-grandparents, how, do you, I hate to ask you the number in case you don't know it. Does anybody know the number of great-grandkids you have, or is that putting you in the spot? Three? You have three? One great-grandchild and two great-grandchildren. So that's pretty awesome. That's great. So Abraham had a lot of great-grandchildren, and one of them was named Judah. Judah. You, by the way, you guys won the prize. Three great-grandchildren. You get a free prize of... Um, of, a, of a, um, a, a card to pass out to people after church. We'll give those to you. All right, congratulations to you. All right. Um, Abraham had a lot of great-grandchildren. One of them was named Judah. And once again, a couple thousand years before Jesus arrived, a prophecy was spoken about Christ through Judah. And the story goes in Genesis 49, verse 10. It says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, the young man Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, 
until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. We froze again, didn't we? We're not showing it here. Did we lose the whole thing or are you just uh, behind? Got to reboot the whole thing? There you go. Well, I'll read the verse to you. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one to whom all nations will honor. Think about that. The one whom all nations will honor. Don't, isn't that true today about Jesus, that all nations honor him? Think about this. I'm not saying that every government, every king or every president honors God. But here's the bottom line. You can go anywhere in the world today, including nations that forbid it. And you'll find that in every nation in the world today, including underground churches that have to do it in secret, everywhere you go, there are people gathering today to bless and honor and worship the name of Jesus Christ. And that was prophesied through Judah 2,000 years before he was born, before Jesus was born into this world. And then the nation of Israel started and sometime later King David became king and God reaffirmed to David that in over a thousand years or more there would be another uh, child, uh, uh, one of his descendants would be born and would be the Messiah born in his hometown of Bethlehem. And all of this was being prophesied way before it happened. God was, the director was setting the stage behind the scenes working. And then the nation of Israel grew and fell apart. The nation grew, but it fell apart spiritually, and it fought politically, and eventually the civil war took place, and the nation of Israel divided into two different kingdoms. And the northern kingdom was more wicked than the southern kingdom, and eventually they went into, into captivity to the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom was still standing, but it was about to go into captivity to the Babylonians. And, and there were prophets of God during that time trying to tell the people, God was warning them to get their stuff figured out and treat each other right. But they weren't treating each other right. They were living wicked lives towards each other. And in the middle of all that, God sent the prophet Isaiah in the middle of fall and impending captivity. He sends the prophet Isaiah to not only speak into their situation, but to prophesy of hope to come. Isaiah 7.14 says, All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, he says, the virgin will conceive a child. That's a pretty big sign. Virgins don't just give birth to babies. If they do, they weren't virgins. I mean, that, that doesn't happen. It can't happen unless it's a miracle. And God says, I'm giving a sign. The virgin's going to have a child one day. That's going to be a sign that it's showtime. And she will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In other words, in that moment that that child is born through that miraculous birth, it will be the beginning moment of all that we've been preparing for. It'll be the opening act of the show. God will be with us in that moment. And it's still hundreds of years away from happening at this point. Sure enough, the captivity took place. The southern kingdom went into captivity. And then some of them came back 70 years later, tried to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild its walls, rebuild its temple. Some were still in captivity. Some were scattered across other countries. Some were trying to eke out an existence in a beaten down Israel. And during all that time, once again, God sent a prophecy, this time about the birthplace of the coming Messiah. In Micah, the prophet Micah, in chapter 5 and verse 2, said this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the 
distant past. In other words, way before you were around from eternity past. He will come from you, from you, Bethlehem, on my behalf. And Mike, in that moment, prophesies not only the coming Messiah, but that God would already pick the birthplace location in that small village, or what we would sing, that little town of Bethlehem. And this is hundreds of years before Jesus came. And all these things, the, the stage is being set, the director has a plan, he's working behind the scenes. And then all of a sudden, after all of that, guess what happened next? 400 years of silence. Not a sound. No, no prophecies. Some prophecies were being, some older prophecies were being fulfilled during those 400 years, but no new word, no new sign, no new, no new voice, no new scriptures being penned, so to speak, that were considered sacred text. Uh, that just, just nothing for 400 years. And for 400 years, the, the people walk around and say, did God just change his mind? Did he just go away? Did he just say, nah, never mind, scrap that play, forget that story, we're done. Just silence. But during the 400 years of silence, a lot was still happening. It just wasn't being as visibly obvious. Can I tell you what was happening? World empires had come and gone. Egypt had cut, risen and fallen. Assyria had risen and fallen. The Babylonian Empire had seen its day. The Persians had come on the scene and they were gone. And now the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great ruled much of the, of the civilized world and, 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 and all the history we have from that section of society was just covered by countries upon countries upon countries all over Europe and parts of Asia. Just uh, of... of uh, the civilized world being uh, conquered by Alexander the Great. And when he died of disease at age 29, his generals took over after him. And during those years of the Greek Empire, something, all, something powerful happened. They started for the first time an established language that kind of spread through all the kingdoms because all that it, what they had was what we have today, a lot of broken, fragmented relationships, languages. People speak dialects. And the Greek language became the predominant language all over the, all over the world. And this is powerful. It's powerful because in that moment, people who, since the Tower of Babel days, haven't been able to communicate with others outside of their own tribe are now speaking to everyone in a common language. The, the Hebrew scriptures, which were just in the Hebrew Jewish language, were now translated into Greek so that anyone could learn them anywhere and the message was ready to be global. It was the biggest, the biggest breakthrough in, in things that happened until the printing press a few hundred years ago, quite honestly, in history. During those 400 years of silence after the Greek Empire fall, fell, the Roman Empire rose. And when the Roman Empire arose, they did something else. They left the Greek language and the Greek learning and education in place. But they stepped in and built roads you ever heard the old phrase, all roads lead to Rome? They built roads everywhere to connect all the different parts of the empire everywhere so they wouldn't have to take water routes through the ocean and sea through the danger and the perils of the water in ancient times. But you can actually take roads to anywhere you want to go. And now a language is spreading upon which the message can spread. And roads are being built for missionaries and others to take the good news of that message to all people everywhere. And the world was not ready for that kind of a big moment beforehand, but God had been setting the stage. And during these 400 years of silence, when nothing seemed to be happening, all the final touches were getting ready for the big moment. Here's what I want to say. 
Because we're talking about the macro story of what God did. But I want us to think about this, not just on the macro story of Jesus, but in the micro story of your life. This is a great reminder of a principle that we sometimes forget. And that is this, that we should trust, trust that God is setting the stage while you wait for the curtain to open. It's easy to not see what's going on and to think that nothing's going on. But trust that God is setting the stage while you wait for the curtain to open. And sure enough, in those 400 years of silence, the world is getting ready for a global message that was at the right part of time. Before civilization wasn't ready, since then we can look back on it, but it was as early, it was a perfect time. In fact, here's what Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, after Jesus lived and died and rose again and returned, uh, Paul the Apostle said to the Galatian people this statement about this whole story. Galatians 4 verse 4, Paul wrote, but when the right time came, I love that. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. In other words, not too soon, just right. Before then, it was preparation. Before then, it was getting, it was getting things ready. And then, as a, as a st- even in the times of silence, things were getting set up. But not early. No, at the right time, the show started. At the right time, the curtain opened. At the right time, God sent his son fulfilled the promises, had the world ready, set the stage to where here we are, 2,000 years later, still observing that impact of that day has become so global. Across the world, we still talk about it and worship about it today. When the right time came. Listen, this is a macro version. The macro story is simply this. That people at one time may have thought that God abandoned the plot and walked away from the screen right. But they would have been wrong. They may have thought that it was over or it wasn't going to happen because of the silence at the time. But God was at work. And when the right time came, the curtain opened. That's a great macro lesson for you, but let me apply it to our personal lives today. Sometimes I asked you at the beginning of the service today, I said to you, have you ever been in a spot in your personal life where you wondered, in your personal life, if God had abandoned you or walked away or he wasn't paying attention or he wasn't up to anything anymore, he wasn't working, he wasn't even there. He was so silent that you wondered, where's God? And I want to say this to you today as well. It's not just a Christmas story, but it's our story as individuals. Listen carefully. Just because you can't see behind the curtain doesn't mean there's nothing happening behind the curtain. I've been to many plays through the years that my kids have been involved in, that Steve, that you have run many plays through the years that I've attended. And sometimes we get there early enough to sit in the audience and it's the show hasn't started yet. And if you were sitting in the audience and watching the show, the curtain's closed, it's not time to start yet, you might be tempted to think that nothing's going on because all you see is an empty stage. All you see is a closed curtain. You don't see anything and you can't hear anything. But it'd be a mistake to think just because you can't see anything happening doesn't mean nothing's happening. Because what's going on behind that curtain is a whole lot. It's been going on for a long time. The director's been at work a long time preparing for that day. And even in those last moments when you're sitting in the audience staring at an empty stage, talking to your neighbor, waiting, behind that curtain, there's a buzz. 
There's last minute preparations. People are there. The cast is ready. The crew's got their stuff in place. All that's going on. And you can sit out there and say, nothing's happening. Oh, something's happening. You just don't see it. Just because you can't see behind the curtain doesn't mean nothing is happening behind the curtain. That was true in the story of Jesus coming. That was true during the 400 years of silence. And that is true in your life, no matter what's going on, just because you can't see behind his curtain. One day it will open. One day he'll open the curtain. One day, maybe it'll be in heaven, maybe it'll be a lot sooner than that. One day the curtain will be open and you'll watch what God is unfolding before your eyes. You'll see the play work out. But just because the curtain hasn't opened yet and you can't see behind it doesn't mean nothing's going on back there. So I want to send you home with a simple thought today. A simple thought. And that is this. The God who sees things that you can't see is doing things that you just can't see yet. And that was true 2,000 years ago and before then. That was true during the, year, the centuries leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. That was true during the silent years. It's true for the whole world today, but it's true for your life as well, that the God who sees things that you can't see is doing things that you can't see yet. The director's at work even when the curtains close and you don't know what's up. And I hope that today, on a macro level, this will be a moment to celebrate the Christmas story, but I also hope that on a personal and private level, this will be a catalyst to your faith. And that is this that you'll say, God, thank you for the Christmas story and for working it out throughout history and time. Thank you for the greatest story ever told that we're celebrating this coming month. But God, thank you also that no matter what I feel like today and what's happening in me and around me today, that I know that you are present when I, even when I can't see what you're doing and what's up. It's a matter of trust. Yes, trust in the gospel. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. If you've never put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, put your trust in him today. Put your faith in him today because he's, got, he, he's worthy of that. He wants, to take you to, he wants to give you eternal life. In love he created. In love he gave us freedom of choice. In love he redeemed us from our, our sins. In love he offers us salvation. But again, it's a choice. And he invites you into letting him be the atonement for your sins so that they can be forgiven. If you'll have it, to give you eternal life with him forever and destroy the power of death and the grave for you. His arms are open wide. The invitation is yours. And if you've never put your trust in him for salvation, do so today. In the seat back in front of you, there are cards. The back card says the gospel. During our prayer time, pull that thing out. Read it over. Put your trust in Jesus Christ today for your salvation. But beyond the big idea of salvation in your personal life as well, will you trust him? Will you trust the director, not just of the macro story, will you trust the director of your story? The God who sees things that you can't see is doing things that you can't see yet. But the curtain's gonna open and then you'll see it. Let's trust him today.